Your Partner in Success Radio is a free business podcast with host Denise Griffiths. It's all about great stories, conversation, and context to help you move your business and life forward with actionable tips and advice from her guest experts. To listen and subscribe, just find us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you consume your podcasts. Welcome to your Partner in Success Radio, where top performers share their secrets to help you achieve your personal and professional goals. I'm your host, Denise Griffiths, and today with my truly incredible guests, we will bring you inspiring and actionable insights to take your life and your business to the next level. Ranked in the top 2% of podcasts globally, this is a must-listen, and I'm so proud of it. I'm so proud of the people that join us. So let's dive in. And my guest today, Rob Volpe. Rob, did I pronounce your name right? Um, it's Volpe. Thank you for asking. I knew that. <laughs> I said it wrong anyway. My, let me start over. My guest today, Rob Volpe, is an astute observer of life and a master storyteller, and he is. We've had some terrific conversations, who brings empathy and compassion to the human experience. And as the CEO of Ignite360, he leads a team of um, insight, strategy, and creative professionals serving the world's leading brands across a range of industries. And he is the author of Tell Me More About That. I love this title. Tell Me More About That, Solving the Empathy Crisis One Conversation at a Time. As a thought leader in the role of empathy and marketing and in the workplace, he's a contributor to Entrepreneurs Leadership Network and frequently speaks on the topic at conferences, corporations, colleges, podcasts like this one, and with the media. And listen, it's time to shape up your empathy muscle. We see that stuff on the Internet that, honest to God, if you said anything to my face the way you're willing to say it on the Internet, I would need bail money. Stop it. So let's talk <laughs> about empathy. And Rob, thank you for joining us. Denise, thank you so much for having me on the show. It's really great to be here. I've been looking forward to this. Me too. And I've got your book. And thank you for sending. I love, I love Tell Me More About That because I'm a really curious person, as are you. And I always want to know more. You know, I, it, of course I'm going to jump up and say, hey, don't talk to me like that or, you know, get kind of twitchy. But I do stop and take the time to say, well, tell me more. And I think it's, that's what you're talking about here. Stop reacting and start listening. Yeah, it's so important. I've, I've started talking about um, taking a curious breath. So when, you know, you're Ooh, having, I like that. Right? And you're having an interaction with somebody and, you know, the, the, there's a, neurologically, apparently there is a gap between stimulus. So if somebody's speaking at you, you're reading something, hearing something, that's stimulus. There's a, a little gap between that and then your response. And it's right in that little gap that you want to get in there and take that curious breath. And that helps you actually um, change your perspective, reframe, get curious and say, tell me more about that. Or you know, decide how you're going to respond rather than just having that knee-jerk reaction, which does nothing but escalate, um, you know, a situation. And, and instead of having the opportunity to make a, a, have a good outcome, it, it starts to lead you towards a bad one. It really does. And 
I'm going to tell you right now, I don't believe for a moment based on my own reactions and getting myself in trouble for saying something immediately instead of listening. I'm better about it, but it doesn't make you feel good. I don't care what anybody says. You know, you can be mean and nasty and say, well, I'm just, you know, sharing my truth. No, you're being an ass. Yeah. And and you're most likely those people that we see out there that just move through and they're always putting other people down and cutting people down. They're doing it. They're, they're wounded themselves is what I've learned through my own experience. All of that, all of those things. And, you know, it, it, it isn't a great existence. They're unhappy about something else. And, um, so for all of us, you know, the problem I think we have is in society, we tend to put, um, some of those people up on pedestals. They become, you know, the stars of reality TV or they, you know, other, other areas, or you hear of bad behavior in the boardroom. And sometimes we, we emulate that or we want to hear about that. And that's not actually the case. Um, of what's really what success really looks like and, and happiness. Um, and ultimately it's a lot better and lighter sort of feeling to just be happy as you're moving through the world than, than carry all that negativity around. It is. And I was reading in your book and you say that empathy is in short supply and it's hurting us. It's hurting all of us, whether we're the one directing our angst or misery at somebody else or if it's being directed at us or we take it in as if it were directed at us, which I think is another issue. And you talk about a lack of empathy is another, it's wearing us down. It's wearing away the gears of society. It's grinding us down to the nubs. And I agree with that. And the very technology that is supposed to keep us connected is actually driving us apart. Let's talk about that. How is it driving us apart? Yeah. And, and, you know, I think when people hear technology, they very often go straight to social media and we can talk about social media, but there's also the screens that we have uh, that proliferate throughout our life. And what's happening is you're having interactions with a device and you're not necessarily uh, interacting with the people around you. I mean, I, I think, you know, I, anybody that goes out to dinner tonight or, or any time soon, pay attention at the tables around you and like how many people are actually looking down into a screen rather than paying attention to the people around them. Or there's other times, like if you take mass transit or you're waiting in line at a cafe to pick up your order or even in the grocery store, like everybody looks down into their phone anymore instead of looking around and connecting with each other. And it's that connection with the people around us that we need to be making and, and, and bringing some of that kindness and empathy and support to one another in our day-to-day or, or in real life um, kind of existence. So there's, there's the proliferation of screens um, that's created an issue. And then social media um, has done some good things in enabling us to connect in different ways, but then it's had some negative things in enabling us to connect in different ways. And, and one of the ways that it's contributed to the empathy crisis is that 
our ideological bubbles have become much more rigid. Um, you know, if you go way back in the day before all of these screens and the internet and everything, you used to just interact with the people and you would find community within your own town or wherever you were living and working. And now you can you know, talk to people all around the world, but that have the exact same ideology as you. And the algorithms are set up to feed you more of what you like or the things that really get you riled up. And so that does nothing but further solidify that ideological bubble that you're in. And it, it, some people aren't as self-aware of what's actually happening and it can lead to, or they have mental health issues. I mean, and it can lead to some really negative, awful outcomes. Um, not just the trolls and, and somebody blasting somebody on, on Facebook, but um, some of the violence that we're seeing today. And, you know, and you mentioned, you know, go way back. Honestly, it wasn't that long ago. The Internet has really only come into what, as we understand it now within about the last 20 years. Yeah. When I first yeah. started building websites, we didn't have GUI graphical user interface. We could barely put a picture on a website. We had to build an HTML. WordPress didn't exist. YouTube didn't exist. Social media. It's only been 20 or a few, maybe a few more years than that. But my first website was a dark blue background with white text. That's all I had available. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I've only been in business for about 20 some odd years. So I remember it very vividly. Yeah, I I remember those days. um, And I remember when email started to become a thing even and Mm -hmm. and that changing the way that we were communicating. My my earliest jobs, um, I worked in an office as a legal secretary. And you were just typing letters constantly or, or retyping contracts or whatever whatever was needed, but it was not email communication. There was all, this was early 90s, it was all still type a letter up, send it off to the opposing counsel and, you know, away it goes. Um, and how much all of that has changed over the years. We didn't even have voicemail. Stop and think about that. Yeah, you know, we had to have a recorder that we hooked up to the phone. We hooked it up to the the wall. And I must have been way ahead of my time because I remember recording before anybody even thought of voicemail, but I'm a smart aleck. You know, if you're trying to reach so-and-so, please press one. If you're trying to reach this person, please press two. And I would hear beep, beep, and people would actually, it didn't exist. So when it came into play, I went, I should have patented that. I was just being a smart aleck. But again, it wasn't that long ago. It was in the 90s, as you say. Yeah, yeah. And so if you think about what, people have grown up with and and grown up around, Um, you know, if you're, I mean, millennials really went through that transition and and they were coming of age during that transition. Um, And then now you have Gen Z that's completely immersed in it and doesn't, you know, many of them don't even remember a time when there wasn't a smartphone and you have access to the world. And then, you know, but, and yet, I, I'm Gen X, and so the Gen X and Boomers, we remember a very different time, um, and and having seen things, and you know, there's 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 a clamoring. The research that we've done, there's a clamoring for more empathy, kind of across all the demographics. It does peak a little bit more with with Gen Z. I think they're feeling this sort of disconnect, and and also where they are in their lives, and and trying to 
kind of figure out who they are and where they belong, um, the, there's a little heightened interest in the, in the topic there, which gives me hope as well. Well, I really want, it, and I'm so glad we're talking about this, and I have to tell you a story about it, because I live in a small, it's a growing neighborhood, but when I first bought this house the week after Hurricane Katrina, I bought it sight unseen. You could not mm. buy a house if you didn't buy it the day it came up on the market, because people from Texas and New Orleans were buying everything they could because they were wiped out. Excuse me. Yeah. Needed to cough there. But I, just not that long ago, maybe three or four three years ago, I heard a bus, you know, a school bus outside, which I don't normally hear because my house is really well insulated, thank goodness. I thought, well, let me go see what's going on. I think it was the beginning of the school year, and I was just curious. Stepped outside on my covered porch, and I see three teenagers, probably – Getting close to graduating, these were some pretty tall kids. They come slouching off the bus. This still breaks my heart. They came slouching off the bus. There was two boys and a girl, and the girl looked like she hadn't washed her hair in a while. She just looked unkept. They both, they had their heads bowed. They were, I don't know how they came down the steps without killing themselves, but they made it. And they weren't looking at each other. They didn't say goodbye to anybody on the bus. They didn't acknowledge the bus driver. There were no humans, even though they were they were walking, you know, side by side down the street. They never made contact. And all yeah. I could think was, they're going to have that. You know that the dowager's hump that your grandma would have? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. They're starting to look like that, a lot of kids. They're just all humped over. Yeah. Oh God. Posture. Um, I know. It's going to be a big problem. And I think, you know, it'd be interesting to come back, you know, a couple thousand years from now and presuming we're all still here on the planet. Um, but come back a couple thousand years from now and see like how Look are at those skeletons and the skeletons yeah, the and the, and the, the humps over and, and, you know, yeah, just the changes in, in our bodies as a result of, I think, you know, excessive sitting in chairs and yeah. you know, bent over keyboards and, and screens and everything um, and using our, our phones. Yeah. It's, it's not a good, not a good situation, but no, awareness. we lost our appendixes. No, we don't need an appendix. Remember that. Exactly. Bodies, and they, bodies change. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. But Self-awareness is a key way to uh, combat all of these things. Just like, you know, you remind yourself, oh, yep, shoulders back, roll the shoulders back down and, you know, correct the posture or um, doing, you know, awareness around empathy. And and as we were talking about having that curious breath and saying, tell me more about that instead of just railing in response. And I love that curious breath. I'm, going to be relocating that just so you know I'm not stealing it I'm relocating it I will Please. give you full, full I, credit for that I, I, I did not come up with it Rick Clemens is a friend and a podcast host uh, he, he introduced me to it a few months ago and I was like that's brilliant and he said it is. go and so I, it's in all of my keynotes and I talk about it all the time and people I think it's just the, the phrasing is simple you, you get it you understand start to understand, oh, this is what I can, I can do. It just takes that one kind of reminder. You know, like sometimes the psychologists I've heard this will say, you want to remind yourself or stop yourself from thinking something, put a rubber band 
I don't like pain. I'm not going to rubber band my wrist. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no. (laughs) I can't take a curious breath. (laughs) Absolutely. And I think it is just that act of reminding yourself to breathe and and to take that breath. And there's something in that inhale and exhale that gives, it just, I mean, when you breathe, it expands your lungs. And so it's creating space. And that's exactly what you need to do mentally with a curious breath is just create some space in order to get curious, be open, be considerate and ask, you know, even if it's as simple as, as tell me more about that. I love that. So in your book, I mean, you're talking about, and I love this book, by the way, there are five steps to empathy to follow in the moment of interaction. Let's go down that road because they're great. I mean, they make a lot of sense. And everybody who's listening, write this down. If you don't have the book, write this down, but then go get the book anyway. Yeah, and and I should say the book is filled with a lot of stories. So it brings all of this to life. It's not me wagging my finger and saying you should do this and you should do that. It's it's through my own example and and experiences. But um yeah, so the the five steps to empathy. This is about as you mentioned, it's the things you need to be doing and following in the moment when you're having that interaction with somebody. So you take that curious breath. And then you need to step 1, make sure that you've dismantled your judgment. And I'll run through all five steps and then we can go back and, and talk about them. But the first one is dismantling judgment. This is the biggest one and it gets in everybody's way. Um, and I, I say in the book and, and often say out loud, like it's the dominant gene in my family. We're born brown eyed and judgy. Um, so that's the, the first one you need to dismantle your judgment. Second step is to ask good questions. And there's a lot of different ways to ask questions, but often we're asking questions that are going to just affirm our worldview and that, or, you know, whatever the point of view position that we have. And and that's not what you want to be doing. You want to ask open questions uh, because you're going to get more honest, truthful answers. Then the third one is to actively listen. So, you know, you've asked the question, you got to be present and paying attention. That means put the phone away, close the laptop, turn off the social media. Don't worry about the list of things you've got to do. Be present for the person that you're speaking to or listening to because they're going to ask that same thing. And don't be afraid to trust your intuition as well. So that's step three. Step four is integrate into understanding. And this one, people get so confused about empathy because they think that there's a misconception out there that, oh, if I take on somebody else's point of view, I have to give up my own. And that's not actually the case. It's about integrating into your understanding. It's making room in your head that, hey, there's another way of moving through the world, of doing something, believing something. Get curious about that. Try to understand where that is and integrate that into your own thinking so that you understand where they're coming from. And then finally, step five is using solution imagination. And this is where all of these things start to turn around on themselves. So you're taking the things that you're hearing, you've asked the good questions, you've dismantled your judgment, and you're turning that around and using that to ask the next question or further the conversation or the collaboration, whatever it is that you're using empathy as for, um, and ultimately to reach a positive outcome. One thing you said, and I, I wrote this down because I didn't want to forget it, that we need to listen, and I bl- listen. That's what I do on this podcast. I do an awful lot of listening, and I'm oftentimes listening between the lines. You know, you hear about reading between the lines. I'm always hearing things that are not necessarily heard 
And that's how I'll come up with my curious questions. But here's a problem with a lot of podcasts, with a lot of people. I'm not singling anybody out. But too many people, in my view, listen to respond. They're like, me, me, me. They got the hand. I got, and it's like, you didn't even hear me. Yeah. Hang on yeah. a second. And that's part of that with active listening. It, it is like, hear what I'm saying, but using your intuition, that reading between the lines, which is actually, I've launched a newsletter a couple months ago and that's the title of it, which was also, I was, I'm going to uh, go on a tangent for a second. I was a yearbook editor, senior year of high school, and my co-editor and I had to come up with a theme and everything. And reading between the lines was the theme that we chose for the book that year, uh, for the yearbook. So, and and you know, it was interesting as a growing up as a, a closeted gay youth, reading between the lines and that subtext and, and understanding who we are more deeply than than what appears on the surface I, I just always felt was so critical and important um and so now i've brought that back as my newsletter title but anyway um yeah it is it's listening between the lines it's reading between the lines you know sometimes it denise i don't know if you use how you think about your intuition but you know it, it's sensing what what's there that maybe i should explore like what are they trying to say that they haven't is there a thread there that i should just tug on a little bit and see what comes from it um, but you've got to be focused and paying attention and tuned in in order to, to do that. I trust my intuition more than anything else about me. And yeah. I have always learned that if I ignore it and go, oh, I'll think about that later, that's going to hurt. It yeah. never ends well. Oh, yeah. I mean, I forget. It was an episode of Oprah 15, 20 years ago or something. I saw somebody talk about how the I think it was like a self-defense uh, instructor. He was like, we are the one of the only animals that will ignore our intuition. We will, you know, ignore the hair on the back of our necks. And that's that real, you know, fight, flight, flee response. But we don't trust our gut. We don't, we're not tuned in and listening. And yet I've found similar to yourself, like I trust my intuition. Like I pay attention to what's coming up in the moment. And it's actually... It served me really well. I would not be here today if I was not trusting my intuition 15 years ago and some decision, life decisions that I was making. I understand. And listen, I call those, you know, I pay very close attention to my instincts and my gut, as you say. And I don't sleep well. Everybody who knows me understands this. I catnap. I have a squirrel brain. It doesn't rest easily. Never has. I'm not insomniac. I just sleep in fits and starts. Mm-hmm. And just about the time, maybe one o'clock in the morning, it may be 11, but just about the time I think I'm going to actually fall asleep, I will stop what I'm doing, stop what I'm thinking, and I will say it out loud to God, spirit, whatever you want to call it, because I don't, I think we're not alone. I think we have mm-hmm. help. We have God winks popping up all the time, again, if we're paying attention. And I will turn over whatever is worrying me or bothering me or I need an answer to. And I'll say it out loud because I have found that if you're thinking, you're thinking it's like being on an L.A. freeway. You can't figure out where those taillights are going. But if you say it out loud, you can only say one thing at a time, right? So I'll say it out loud to my ceiling fan, and then I go to sleep. And at 
318 in the morning, I promise you, 318 in the morning, I'm awake. You can call me because that download came to me and I've woken up sufficiently to either get up and do something about it, I hear you, baby, or, you know, write it down. So I'm wow. always awake at 318, but I've program- I did this, I think, when I was a kid. I don't remember not doing it, but I trust my gut so much that I say, hey, can you help help me? And it works. <laughs> That's amazing. And it's so true to, to have clarity on what you're asking. Like what, what is the question you're asking or the, the um, call it a wish, but what's the thing you're putting out there and then being open to that response that you're getting. Um, right. And, and it could be a to... tricky, it could be a piece of code that I couldn't work out. Who knows right. what it's going to be, but I'll right. have the answer. This is, this is a, a you talk about stories. This is a weird story because I'm a web developer. And I think in code, even though we don't use HTML anymore and we use WordPress, I still think in code. And I was having what, you know, I have lucid dreams all the time. Mm-hmm. And I, I was drawing in code because I could see the back of the, the, the website that I was building. And I had I'd drawn a box. I divided it in half, but I kept padding one side, really padding it. I mean, it got to the point where it was just so narrow on one side and so open on the other. And I was, what in the heck are you building, Denise? Well, I woke up enough to realize that I was about to roll out of bed. And my brain was telling me to stop and wake up. And, I mean, had I made one more roll, I would have hit this, this table next to me. Pay attention is my point. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Do you keep a dream journal or anything like when you wake yeah, up? I do. Yeah, yeah, I do because I lucid dream. I had one the other day. I wrote it on Facebook. It was so annoying because I would wake up and try to turn turn the channel, and I'd go back to it. So four times in a row, I went back to that same stupid dream that I didn't want to be a part of. I finally got up and started cooking something. I don't know what it was, but I just went to the kitchen and left, left yeah. my sleep behind. I, I find that I've, when I wake up and I've, my brain's been spinning and chewing on something, it takes some time to really calm it down. Like I almost have to start to engage in other things. And I mm-hmm. can't just like lay there and fall back asleep because um, I'll, I'll keep spinning. I've got to distract myself. I've got to read a little bit, um, you know, sometimes get up and go into another room for a little while. Um, Call me. I'm awake. (laughs) We can chat. We'll have to get in sync here. (laughs) I actually get text messages. You're awake, aren't you? Yes, I am. What's up? I used to do um, copywriting for, this is, gosh, 17 years ago now, which is really crazy that it was that long ago. But I used to do uh, some creative copywriting, and I found that, like, 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. was the – I was at my most creative because, like, the energy out in the city here in San Francisco had, like, calmed down, and I was able to just kind of get into that zone and and channel. So I think there is something in the middle of the night that that – you know, we're, we're communicating in different ways. Um, we are. We are. And listen, I'm like you. I'm a workaholic. I'm always doing something. And I have my work hours, you know, for, for my podcast and for my, my digital agency. But 
I have found that around 9.30, 10 o'clock, I'm like, ooh, and off I race back to my computer. And all of a sudden, my creativity is just on fire. And it's hard to go to sleep. But that's okay yeah. because I've got stuff done. <laughs> it's okay. Well, and I, I think when when that strikes, you've got to pay attention to it. And, and you know, when I was working on the book as I was – and it took me six years to write the book because I was running a company at the same time. And um, yet when I would feel that kind of urge inside me, you know, that sort of call of the muse, I guess, I would you know, make the space in order to, to do some writing and, and keep things moving along. Glad, I'm glad you shared that because I wanted to go back to the book and ask you, why did you write it? I mean, it, did it just kind of pop into your head one day and say, well, we've got an empathy crisis, which we do. And it's nothing new, but now these days it's just so much easier to spot it. I mean, you can't, you can hardly get away from it. And why did you start the book? Why did you write the book? I'm sure there's a story there. Oh, there's there's a story. There's a few key moments that, that kind of led to all of this. I mean, one, and I write about in the book, going back to growing up in a small town Indiana in the 1980s, um, empathy became my superpower and how I tried to um, navigate the hallways and survive. Um, so empathy was always there for me. And then in 2010, there's a moment where I heard about a study out of the University of Michigan that had found a 40% decline in empathy skills amongst college students between the period of 1979 to 2009. And it was like, oh, wow, that's bad. Because um, I could see, as we've been talking, like I could see how all these things were going to start to play out. And then I started my company and somebody said to me, like, well, you're a CEO now. What book are you going to write? Because that's what CEOs do. <laughs> I was like, yeah, but I'm also an entrepreneur. I'm like trying to get this thing off the ground. It's not just, you know, cushy, sit back and ponder the universe. No, so we need cat like, food. We have pets. Yeah. We need cat food. We need things, the important things, you know, keep the lights on, feed the pets, you know, exactly. things like that. Exactly. Speaking of pets, Domino has joined us and she is purring up a storm. I don't know if the microphone's picking that up or not, but if you hear a little vibration, that's, uh, that's her. Um, is that her bell? Does she have a bell on? She does not have a bell on, but she I get, hang on. Uh, don't talk. Okay. Can you hear that? She sounds. I can. She sounds like she's got a little bell on. Oh yeah, no, that's her. That's her purring. Um, <laughs> she likes to curl up with dad, especially whenever she hears me talking. It's like, hey, and I'm on a call, and she can hear the other person too. She's like, I want to be part of this. Um, so yeah. So anyhow, so so Domino is here. Um, but then yeah. So I I knew. I knew I, I, I've always loved to write. So writing has been my preferred kind of method of communication. And, and um, I was speaking at a conference or not a conference, I was speaking at a college class uh, here in San Francisco as a marketing group. And I was telling them uh, about the insights industry, marketing research and qualitative and quantitative research and what you use it for and when. And then I also, because I knew about that study out of the University of Michigan, I'm like, any chance I have to inject a little more empathy uh, and help them kind of turn the lights on to their own, how they're showing up, I'm going to do it. 
And so I started telling them some stories that talked about the principles of empathy. And we had developed uh, the five steps at that point. So it's kind of walking through that and sharing some of the stories from my own in-home experiences. And so when I was out doing research and times when I was challenged with being other, and, you know, this was back in 2016, those students were paying so much attention, like they're slack jawed, you know, head in their hands, like listening to me. They weren't distracted. They weren't, you know, on their laptops taking notes or anything. They were listening. And my intuition, a God wink, however, you know, I, a voice inside my head said, this is what you need to, to talk about. Like, you need to tell these stories. This is what you have to write about. And that's what got me started writing the book. And I started just taking you know, the experiences that I'd had going into, you know, everyday people's homes. These aren't celebrities or influencers or anything. These, this is you and me. These are normal everyday people. Right. And the times that, you know, the things that I would uncover and how I would respond to it and, and the struggles that I might have getting to a place of empathy and um, just kept going and going and, and crafting that. Um, and I knew so I knew that I wanted to tell those stories. I wanted to help people understand how to be more empathetic, but I also wanted people to be entertained. Um, I, I didn't want a book that people felt like they had to read. I wanted to write a book that people want to read. Um, and and so there's a lot of storytelling in it. I put a lot of myself in it. I think early drafts were very um, me as observer. And then we got to the place where I think I'm a character um, kind of in the book because it's also about my own journey. And yeah, in between, you know, solving problems for Microsoft or Starbucks or General Mills or some of our other clients, I was spending my weekends writing. Um, and it was interesting. I had a session. I, I see an energy healer here in Sausalito. Her name's Marie. And she's been great. And she really encouraged me to keep putting more of myself into the book. So I, I attribute that element to her. But it was around 2018. And, you know, it felt back then that the world was on fire. And I was like, oh, I've it was. got to get this book done. I've got to get this book done. Yeah. The world needs this book. And she was like, there is no rushing divine timing. Like, you think you need the world needs the book now? Just wait. Like, keep going. Keep working on it. But you know, it will come out when it, it's supposed to come out. And I think, um, I think it ended up working out in the best way because we just need it now more than ever. We do. And I'm listening to your, your cat and I'm, I've got my hand on my heart because I can feel my heartbeat is slowing down because cats do that for you. Dogs do that for you. They, they slow you down. They give you comfort. I'm waiting for my cat, one of my cats. He's a giant ginger named, he's a hashtag on Facebook, hashtag Hamilton is an ass. And he's loud. <laughs> he gets Christmas cards. <laughs> and I'm waiting for him to join me because he thinks it's a podcast, P-A-W-D cast. <laughs> and he likes to show up as well. So she's uh -huh. not alone. <laughs> yeah, I hope it's not too distracting. Um, no, I love I'm a cat person, so I love it. But I, I kept thinking I'm hearing bells, but no, it's a purr. Which, tell her thank you for joining us. Um, what I wanted to 
to ask you, and I lost all. I'm so fascinated by her prayer. Okay, so I wanted empathy, and we're talking a lot about empathy. And listen, some people think it's a weakness. It is not. And let's talk about that. Yeah, empathy is, and I'm just taking a really quick selfie talk, as we've been talking about all of phone and everything, um, and I will send that to you, and maybe you'll share it with your audience. So I will. Can see curled up with me as we're talking. <laughs> You're uh, not the only person. I have podcaster friends that their cats will join them. It's just, it's the rule. We're yeah, not net. We just like our children. It's so funny. So, um, okay, I did that. Um, your listeners will be like, what is going on? Um, so anyhow, okay, you were asking me. We're about connecting, darn it. That's what we're doing. We're connecting. You are, and I hope, I hope your listeners are connecting with all this as well as we're going. Um, so, yeah, so empathy is a weakness. You know, yeah, I, I, in my keynotes, I talk about, like, empathy is an E word that people are afraid of, like emotion. Um, it's something that we don't totally understand on an individual level, and I think even more broadly, you know, the, the science around empathy is still in development. There's a lot of great researchers um, and, and thought leaders contributing to the space. But it's something, it's something that we're born with. Um, and or, yet, not. Or, you know, or not. You know, or not. If there we're are sociopath, that, that's not going to be there. Yes, if you or, are in that. Or a politician, you're not going to have empathy, but, you know, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's sociopathic tendencies that show up. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, yeah, and if you are on the, the that sort of antisocial spectrum, narcissism, sociopath, psychopath, yeah, the, the empathy wiring, there's something that's not connecting there. Um but for the rest of us, and, and it is about 10% of the population I've heard but, uh, or read that falls into that space. But for the rest of us, we are born with it. We have the ability to do it, but it's more like a muscle that you have to exercise and use because otherwise it'll atrophy or, or never just be strong. Um, and I think there's been so much in society around how um, you know, we're supposed to show up at work and in life that is actually anti-empathetic as I was talking about earlier, where, you know, we, we sometimes idolize individuals that really, you know, I mean, look, look at the, you know, Elon Musk, I will just use him as an example. Um, he is not demonstrating empathetic leadership at Twitter um, and what he's done over the last uh, six or eight months there but he's still idolized by many people. And and it's not to diminish other accomplishments he's had, but the way he's choosing to show up um, is in a very kind of macho, old school um, uh, approach and very sort of madmen style of this is what men are supposed to be like versus what I think people are really looking for today in the workplace. And you see that as well in the return to office um, debate and struggle that's going on. I think some of the older ways of thinking, you know, are not as empathetic. It's the, the kind of decree from above versus a, Hmm, let's, let's 
take in empathy as one data point. It doesn't drive the decision, but it can inform and it can inform how you communicate. Um, but I think that empathy is actually a strength. I think it is a superpower. Um, you have to understand, though, that, you know, it's not just about being empathetic. Um, you know, I, I often talk about how empathy empowers the skills that we need to be the people we are or hope to become. Um, because when you have empathy, then you use that in your communication, the way you collaborate, problem solve, ideate, build trust, have forgiveness, compassion. And that's what makes you better as whether you're a leader, a volunteer, an individual contributor at your job, um, an entrepreneur, whether you're a parent or a partner, a friend, a neighbor, you use empathy all the time. And um, we, it, we, we need to be practicing it to build the muscle up. Do And empathy, for those of you who are wondering why, I mean, how is this not a weakness? It doesn't mean give a shirt off your back and then walk around naked. It means that you listen, you understand, you try to help if you can. Sometimes helping other people is maybe not the best thing to do. Look, yeah, I don't believe you, in a welfare society. I, I just don't. It, I'll give you a hand up, but I don't want to, you know, generations of you. That's a hell no. Right. And and that's that's part of it. People think that, um, oh, I'm you're you're going to make all your decisions from, and I mean, and there's actually there's two different types of empathy too. There's cognitive empathy, which is is seeing the point of view of somebody else, understanding where they're right. coming from, and then there's emotional empathy, and that's the deeper feeling, the feelings of of another person. And with either one of those, though, it's just another data point that it's is a the, tool it's a tool exactly right. so using that just like you know if you're making a decision if you're you're a, a business owner whether it's a smaller or large business and you're trying to make a decision you're taking and it works even in your personal life but you've got the sort of financial data and that sort of business implication you may be considering some other sort of company metric and then you've got the human empathetic side of it and those things together can inform how you what what decision you make but also how you communicate it out to people um and and you can help them understand and have empathy back with you if you are understanding where they're coming from um so yeah empathy is actually a strength and when you ask people and I would ask listeners to ask themselves like who's somebody that they look up to in the you know let's say in the business world usually the person that that comes to mind isn't the Elon Musk the Jeff Bezos um you know Mark Zuckerberg types it's actually somebody that they've known that's been a mentor or a boss and then you ask yourself okay well what was it about that person uh, that made them that way for me. And it's typically the answers I'll, I'll often hear are, well, they listened to me or it felt like they mm -hmm. had my back. They, they took the time to get to know me and, and, you know, mentor and, and uh, uh, help my own personal development. That's all empathy folks. Like, and they it's the trust factor. Do you trust this person? Yeah, and, and how do you reach a trust? By showing, hey, I get you. I understand where you're coming from. That does a lot to establish trust. 
It does. And, you know, we're hearing a lot, and I can't put years to it. I'm, I guess five years ago or so I started paying attention to it. But there's an awful lot of talk about IQ and EQ. You mm-hmm. have a high IQ. I have a high IQ. That doesn't mean anything if you don't have compassion and empathy and you can't fight your way off a paper sack. Yeah. My father was very intelligent. He was the stupidest man I knew. He really was. <laughs> I know it sounds you know, contradictory, but he didn't have well, much sense. Well, but yeah, there's you know street smarts versus book smarts versus you know one and the common sense and everything. And I think um, that's something you know. It, it, yes, EQ has been. Um, getting more awareness and attention over the last yeah five ten years um and it's really the pandemic is what really uh um you know turbocharged the importance of it because there were so many people and you know look i've I've got a cat curled up purring um while i'm in the middle of a recording or, or doing a live it's a interview. podcast p-a-w-d podcast and and you know so you had a choice in how you resp- could have responded to that you could have been like what are you doing you're getting in the way you know the cat's getting in the way get rid of the cat um or you could have gone, you, you chose to have empathy with me and you understood that, oh, he's got a cat. I have a cat. You could think about the times that Hamilton has wanted to be on the show or gotten you know, right up on your keyboard. And so you made a decision because you had empathy with me to be supportive um, and, and welcome Domino into the, the podcast and and now we've had some conversation and there'll be a photo of her that I'm going to send you once we're done um you you chose an empathetic response during the pandemic in particular when suddenly you know working parents had their children doing cartwheels behind them while they were trying to have a zoom call or a teams meeting or something not all managers were understanding of that. And it, <laughs> one that I got such a kick out of was this poor, ragged-looking mom. She was exhausted. And I kid you not, this was part of the call. Mom, come wipe my butt. She just put her head down. Oh. <laughs> and I, I wasn't laughing at her. I was laughing with her. But it was one of the funniest things I've seen in a long time because – kids you know kids are yeah they're not human (laughs) it's going to keep us honest um yeah and that but that and that's another example you you gave an empathetic response in that moment and not everybody will do that and so as a result it broke that bond of trust and feeling supported and then people ended up you know we had that period of the great resignation a lot of that was driven it wasn't just because hey i can make more money over here it's like well i don't really feel supported and nurtured here and so maybe it is better over there i'm going to go check that out and oh hey they are going to let me work remotely so i can continue to work in wherever i am and they are going to pay me more money and they're going to do you know x y or z but some of the root cause of that dissatisfaction and why people were leaving was that lack of empathy in leadership and, and, you know, starts up at the sea level, but all the way down through an organization. 
It does. And I think that quiet quitting is still going on right now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's definitely. It's gone away yet. Yeah, no, there's definitely some quiet quitting. It's a really turbulent time right now. And, and you know, some organizations are, are insisting people return to office, even on a hybrid schedule. And I, I was actually, I was giving a keynote um, to an offsite for one organization and I had was like 8.30 in the morning. It was the very first thing on their agenda. But it turned out that the um, day before at about three in the afternoon, the CEO had sent out a notification to everybody that we're going back to the office at least three days a week and you're responsible to show up to the office that you are assigned to. And it created a lot of, you know, the leadership that was at the offsite, they got about an hour's heads up that it was coming. Um, And so some people, you know, were in situations where they had moved, like, or they, they had taken a job during the pandemic and they were hours away from the office. And, you know, so they're like, what am I going to do? Do I get another job? Is the company going to support me? There was just all sorts of um, uh, confusion and emotions. And so I, you know, worked that into the the keynote and the conversation I was having with everybody. And, you know, don't leave the elephant in the room unaddressed, um, but talked about how to use empathy and empathetic language as they were talking with each other, um, but also with their managers or with their direct reports. And, you know, asking a good question and, and being broad and open, like, tell me, how, tell me more about how you're feeling about that announcement. And that's a very open question. It's not leading. Somebody's going to be able to say, well, yeah, that makes sense to me. I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. I live down the road. And somebody else is going to say, well, I didn't really care for the tone of it or the timing of it sort of sucked, but oh. whatever. And then somebody else could say, well, I'm actually, I'm really worried because I've, you know, my wife and I bought this house We're, you know, it's a three hour drive. We're in a really good place. I was told when I, you know, made that move that that was going to be okay. And now the company is changing that. And so, you know, you, you need to ask a good question in those situations and be open um, in the way that you're asking the question so that you can hear from people. So I was able to, to incorporate that in the moment into the, the workshop. And I used examples um, about, because I knew they had also changed their agenda. They were going to have a conversation about it right after um, as a group. So I was trying to, to arm them with some tools so that they could have a more productive conversation. And everything, I didn't stay for that, obviously, but everything I heard afterward was that it, it was a good uh, interaction and everybody did feel supported by their uh, team leader, which is good. So, so what I'm hearing by taking you know the the tact that you took is that when a corporation, a company, a boss, whoever it is, makes an arbitrary decision based on their knowledge and based on their needs, they're not doing it just because they woke up one day and said, "Oh, I hate everybody, go to work." You know, that's not what happened. Right. But they had reasons for doing it, but it sounds to me like they didn't conduct a poll or have a meeting or a picnic and say, what do y'all think about this? How can we make this work? Wouldn't exactly. that have been a better idea? So much better. And just incorporating into it, the point as you're communicating it out, because I think 
from what I understood, this was part of the issue. It was a little bit more of a decree rather than a, we know this, you know, rather than empathetic communication, which would have said more around, you know, we recognize this is going to be difficult for some of you and we've made arrangements with you in the past. So we want to continue that work with your manager. Instead, it was like, you know, oh, if you're going to, if you're not coming into the office, it's got to be approved by the C-level person above your function. <laughs> it's like, who is going to go talk to their C-I-O-T-O-E-O-O-O-M-O, you know, all the different C-level people. Like, you're not going to do that. It's, so there's, it's very intimidating. It's not empathetic. So there was a much more empathetic way to, to communicate that and also to help people understand because, yes, that CEO you know, look, they, they've got a beautiful building that's really expensive. And so that's a, a sitting on the company's books. They, you know, believe that there is value in having people together um, during the work week. And there's more, you know, collaboration or better innovators, all the, the things that are out there and the, the, the results aren't really in whether that's true or not. But some people are believing that that's okay. Um but they're taking those data points and not necessarily considering the real emotions of the people that are going to be affected by it. And, and so how do you incorporate all of that? And, you know, Denise, it's, it's hard work to actually be empathetic. You've got to build that muscle up. And so I think this was a situation where they didn't have the empathy muscle flexing and it created more upset than was necessary. Well, they're looking at numbers, probably, I'm guessing. They're yeah. looking at the bottom line. We've got rent. We've got the building mortgage. We've got air conditioning going on 24-7. What the heck? You can Whether bowl down those aisles. There's nobody the- here. <laughs> Right. <laughs> but the air conditioning is yeah. still running regardless of yeah. whether it's just the security guard is full up. Yeah. Right. That's exactly right. Yeah. So it sounds like there's a huge, in this particular instance that you were talking about with this group, like a huge failure to communicate. And it could have been avoided. Right. And, and so we would call that, and psychologists I think would call that an empathetic failure. And so uh. then, then there needs to be empathetic repair. Um, in order to, because, you know, there is trust is lost to a certain degree. Um, you know, you, you've upset the sort of psychological safety. That's another phrase that's um, getting a lot more attention now is how safe psychologically people feel to show up and to be seen and heard at the workplace. But yeah, that, that empathetic failure um, you need to then suddenly start to repair that. So then now subsequently, and, and part of what this um, uh, department leader had to do, and we were having some side conversations about it, was to use empathetic language, to, to recognize, like, I, I can imagine that this is really upsetting for a lot of you. I've heard from a lot of you that this is upsetting, and I can see where it would be. I can imagine for myself if I didn't live down the street. But yeah, this is a big upheaval to to the life that you've kind of created for yourself over the past few years. That all of those are, are ex- examples of empathetic language, and that's what you want to be doing. You want to share from a point of empathy that you understand where somebody's coming from, and, and don't hesitate to repeat back what you understand, and don't be afraid to ask people to verify, "Did I get that right?" 
Right. You know what I heard out of all of that? Upheaval. Yes. That's kind of what we've all been going through for a while now, and we're kind of sick of it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's so much uncertainty and upheaval that's been going on for years now. And I think you know, we, we have a study that we do ongoing been talking to um, 15 U.S. adults since the start of the pandemic and wanted to just kind of see, oh, you know, the pandemic was going to last for three months originally. We were all going to be back in the office by June. And we thought, well, this is going to be interesting to see how this changes people. And then, you know, things continued. George Floyd was murdered. All the protests that, that happened from that, the election was going on. And, you know, it just continued and continued. And now it's really a look at American values and how things are changing here over time. But one of the things that we continue to explore or see from people is just this uncertainty. Like there's people don't feel settled the way that they used to. Absolutely. What I'm hearing from you, again, hearing between the lines, is that people need to take that curious breath and then sit down with themselves and, you know, look at the core values or the principles that guide you in your work and in your life. And then how do you stay true to them? And empathy is certainly one of those tools. Absolutely. It will fuel so much and it will, it will uh, take people to great places. They just have to, my Angelou has a great quote, which I use in the book and cite a lot, but she said she believed that people have the ability to have empathy. We may not have the courage to display it. And so I always am encouraging people to just be courageous, have some empathy, practice it. Show up the best you can every single day. Listen, we've got about two minutes before I let you go. Um, And I want to tell you, I sincerely appreciate your company today and spending time. Now you hear my cat? (laughs) Yeah. I've got, she's a little deaf. She's a, she's 18 years old and she's a little deaf kid cat that it was part of a um she came here from mississippi her owner had to go into dementia care and i wound up as a foster fail because she's 18 years old and i'm not moving her again but right, she's deaf right. as a post so when she starts chatting i think the neighbors can hear her but, anyway, <laughs> but i wanted to say spending time with you has been such a pleasure and i love the book but would you mind sharing your online presence And the best way to get for people to contact you? Yes. So um, please find me um, on uh, Instagram or TikTok. I'm Empathy Activist. Uh, And then you can also find me on LinkedIn, Rob Volpe, V-O-L-P-E. You can also visit 5stepstoempathy.com, which is the number 5stepstoempathy.com. Um, and the book is available wherever people prefer to buy books. Your local bookstore may be carrying it or they can definitely order it. It's available in hardcover. Amazon has it. It's also on uh, Audible. I narrated the audiobook and I absolutely love it. So if that's your, your thing, check that out. And of course, it's also available on um, ebook. Excellent. And I know we were going to go back to the, the five steps to empathy and, you know, explore them a little bit more but we didn't really have time so read the book everybody read the book listen to the book go go find rob chat with him so anything else you would like to share with the audience before i let you go um i i hope people um 
have a little bit of courage to take a curious breath and have some empathy. And I would love to continue the conversation if they want to reach out to me uh, and, and join on the socials. I'm also on Facebook too, Rob Volpe Empathy. I know. I tagged you the other day. Well, listen, everybody. Thank you, Rob. As we come to the end of today's episode, I'd like for you to, well, I would like you to give us some valuable feedback. If you found our insights useful and enjoyed the show, I'd really greatly appreciate it if you could leave us a review and a rating on iTunes. Your feedback helps us grow and inspire more people on their success journeys. So be sure to hit that subscribe button, leave a review, and share your partner in Success Radio with your friends and colleagues. And one more time, go find Rob Volpe. He's easy to find. The book is an easy read. It's very enjoyable. I've got sticky notes. The pink ones are where I laughed out loud. <laughs> Lots of pink ones. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> Listen, everybody, thank you for tuning in. And we look forward to catching you on the next one. Rob, again, thank you so much. And Denise, thank you. This has been awesome. Get your voice heard. If you would like to launch your own far-reaching podcast, contact Denise Griffiths at yourofficeontheweb.com and go to the podcast tab.